Philippians 1, um, or there are some paper copies there. Thanks, Louise. So today's reading is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 19. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth out of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. This is the word of the Lord. Brilliant. Thanks, Louise. So we're starting a new series on joy so to get us warmed up and kind of maybe back in the room if we've just gone for a little bit. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, what brings you joy? And see how far you get. What brings you joy?
Okay, let's hear a few. What brings you joy? Stick up a hand if you're happy to share. What brings you joy, Emma? Family. Family, yeah. Um, Ren, my daughter. Daughter, yeah. Mark, shout it out. Sunshine. Anyone else enjoying a bit of sunshine? Yes. You could probably tell the sun cream hasn't found, we haven't found the sun cream just yet. Uh, anyone else? Pizza? Being able to walk. Amazing. Praise God. Yes. Anything else? Anyone happy it's the start of the cricket season? No, it's just me. I know. Great. Well, for me, I was thinking about this question, um, and I think pizza. Someone said pizza. We had a pizza last night with um, Sam, who's part of this church. Pizza brings me great joy. Sunshine brings me joy. A cup of coffee, a good cup of coffee brings me joy. All sorts of things in this world to enjoy. And I just wanted to begin with that, really, because we want to say that God is a God of joy. Amen? It was God who made the sunshine. It's God who gave us the gift of family. It's God who gave us the gift of pizza. It's actually one of the proofs of God's existence, pizza. Um, that was a joke. Um, but I think that when we enjoy life, just as when I might see my little daughter playing with her doll's house um, and just being so delighted in her little Sylvanian family doll's house, and that brings me pleasure. So when we are full of joy and life, it brings God's God pleasure. Does that make sense? Fundamental to what we believe is that God is good. He's a good father who wants good things for his children. Jesus famously said, I have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. That's the heart of God for us. That's the story we live under from Genesis to Revelation. God is good. He's made a good world and he wants good things for his children. And yet, if we're honest, we know that all too often life is marked by other things than joy. I think we live in a bit of a culture where there is joy poverty, actually, in our, in our culture. We have never been so entertained. We've never had so many options, what to stream, what to watch, what to look, on, look at online. Uh, sort of sociologists say we, we live in a a time of excessive entertainment. And yet, despite that, there seems to be a sparsity of joy, but rather words like anxiety or depression or discouragement or stress come out again and again. And that will be our experience too. All too often, joy feels a bit like a bar of soap. We grab it, we hold on too tightly, it slips away. Or it feels temporary, transient, or if we're honest, it can feel a bit shallow. Well, we can enjoy these things, but actually there's something in our hearts, the longing for more, a deeper reality of joy. And so the question, of course, is how can we find that deeper, more resilient, more permanent joy? But also how can we be people who share joy? How can we be people who radiate joy when we walk in a room rather than something else? Paul says in uh, Romans 14, verse 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. Uh, by that, he means it's not a matter of obsessive law uh, following. It doesn't mean uh, we, we don't eat or drink in the kingdom. Um, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
So Paul is saying that because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross, the life that is opened up to us is a life of peace and joy. And that's the life of the Spirit that we inhabit. And that's what we can carry in life. And that is what we can share with others, this life of peace and joy. And of course, the big question that we're asking in this series is, so how? Okay, so that's great. This is what God's promised, but how do we actually do it? And this is where the book of Philippians really helps, because the book of Philippians is known as the book of joy. It's actually quite a, a short book, or it's a letter, four chapters long, uh, 104 verses. And in 104 verses, we have the word joy, or rejoice, uh, repeated 16 times. So it's a theme that bleeds through this letter strongly. And the striking thing is that the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, is in a pretty stressful situation when he wrote it. We know that he's in prison, he's in chains, as our reading pointed out, and he's facing great uncertainty. Uh, In verse 20, we see that he didn't know whether he was going to live or die. So that was the scenario Paul was in. He's sitting there in prison, and he doesn't know whether he's going to be killed for his faith or he's going to be released. And uncertainty is one of the big stresses, isn't it? Who here likes uncertainty? No one, okay? So that's one of the things that stresses us out in life. And yet, this theme of joy bleeds through this letter and is clearly something that Paul carries. And I want to say, if you're going through something stressful or challenging at the moment, if you're going through uncertainty, whatever that looks like, work, uh, health, uh, uncertainty in any way, if you're, if you're going through suffering in any way, joy is still on the table. That's what the book of Philippians says. Because a Christian joy is not dependent on fortune or circumstances, but is dependent on things that are permanent. And so whatever is going on in our lives, we always have a reason to sing. We can always carry deep within us a sense of joy. It doesn't mean that we don't feel our emotions, but it means that underneath all is this this sense of uh, joy in the Lord. So just a little bit on Philippians. Philippians is one of the prison letters, uh, the four prison letters in the New Testament, along with Colossians, Ephesians, and Philemon. Um, We're not quite sure which time it refers to, because Paul was in prison so much, uh, we just don't know which kind of occasion it was. Um, some scholars think it was when he was in house, under house arrest in Rome. It was probably written around 60 AD. And Philippi was a Roman colony in Macedonia. So in today's language, that's Greece. And it was kind of known as a mini Rome by the Romans. It was a prosperous city. Uh, and Lydia was converted in Philippi. If you know the story in Acts, uh, Lydia was a seller of purple. Purple was expensive. And she was converted in uh, Philippi. And we get the kind of the story of how Paul met this Christian community in Acts 16. He actually has a dream um, of what he describes as a man of Macedonia calling him to go and preach in Philippi. So he goes and preaches there. Lydia comes to faith. And then as he's preaching, there's a lady who keep, who's a kind of fortune teller. She has a demon, and she keeps irritating Paul in his ministry. And so finally, Paul says, right, I've had enough. He casts out the demon. She, gets, she becomes free. And then Paul and Silas are put in prison. This is in Philippi still. And that's where we get the story where they're worshiping 
They're in that place of suffering, but they're worshipping. Uh, an earthquake comes. They escape. The jailer thinks, oh, no, this is it for me. I might as well kill myself. Paul says, don't kill yourself. He can, uh, shares the gospel with this jailer. His whole family come to faith. Are we kind of vaguely, some, some people vaguely familiar with that story? That all happened in Philippi. This is kind of where this community is set. So as Paul is in prison, he's thinking about this community. That would be on his mind. He's got some fond memories of some fruitful ministry there. And this, prison, this church has sent him a gift while he's in prison, probably to encourage him, to cheer him up, to help him. And so he writes this letter Philippians, to thank them for this gift that they'd sent and to say, I'm sending you Timothy, my protege, to encourage you uh, and I'm hoping that I will be with you uh, if I am freed. He also tells them to stop being idiots and arguing with each other all the time because there's a real problem with unity and so that's one of the strong themes that comes through in Philippians as well. And here's what I was reflecting on this week as I was thinking about joy and how we kind of take a step forward into knowing more of the joy of the Lord. And I came upon this phrase, joy is both a fruit of the Spirit and it's a choice that we make. It's both a fruit of the Spirit and a choice that we make. The more that we are filled with the Spirit, the more that those fruits of the Spirit will bubble up. Love and joy and peace. It's something natural that wells up within us. But it's also a choice. Paul says, walk in step with the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, we don't just become robots controlled by God. We, we have autonomy. We can make a choice. And we can make a choice to walk in step with the Spirit who brings joy. And as we look through this opening passage this morning, there are two choices that I noticed Paul made in his life that I think led to joy. And the two choices are this, that Paul chose to give himself away. He chose to invest him, his life in others. And then secondly, he chose a faith perspective in his circumstances. So firstly, Paul chose to invest his heart in others. His outlook was always outward rather than inward. He had an attitude of freely giving himself away. He gave himself away to God to Jesus, the person that had saved him, he, it completely transformed his life. He was a murderer. He was, his life was totally against the true God, the real God, against Jesus. He'd had an encounter with his life. He'd given his life to Jesus. He describes himself as a servant of Christ. But he also gives his life, he gives his heart to the church, to Christian, this Christian community in Philippi here that we read about. And in verses 3 to 8, we see his passion for this community. As we read, we get a sense that these aren't kind of distant clients that Paul once worked for, but that he loves them passionately. He'd invested his life into them. So do follow along. Verse 3 of chapter 1, Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. I thank my God every time I remember remember you. Who is it that God has placed in our lives that we can give thanks for? Who are you thankful for in your life? And I'm struck by the word every time. 
because I just think that's extraordinary. As Paul thought about this community, every time he gives thanks, there are people in my life, and I'm grateful for them, but when my little daughter Tilly comes into our room at six in the morning, I can't say my first response is, thank you, Lord, for this child. My first response is, go back to bed. It is too early. But Paul is full of thanks for this community. And then verse 4, he says, In all my prayers for you, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So we know that Paul is praying for this community. That's just extraordinary, isn't it? Paul, despite his situation, he's thinking about others and he's praying for this community. And we see what he prays in verses 9 to 11. He prays that their love might abound. He's praying for unity. He also prays for wisdom, that they'll be able to discern what is best. And he prays for fruitfulness for their faith. So he's praying for these people. Who might God be prompting us to pray for? And what a great thing that we can do in our quiet time is just be still and just ask God to bring someone into our minds, a name, a a face into our minds that we could pray for that day or we could encourage that day. And you can just text them and say, friend, I'm praying for you today. How can I pray? Or can I encourage you with this? That's what Paul was doing all the time. It's a really simple and easy way to do kingdom ministry. He was in prison, but he was still extending the kingdom through his prayers and his encouragement. In verse 7, he says, I have you in my heart. Paul was clearly not English, okay, because he's quite um, open with his expressions of emotion, right? And I think we could learn something from that. Verse 8, he says this, he goes on, God can testify how I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Just as I've experienced Christ's love in my life, so I long for you, I love you in that same way. This is like a love letter to the Philippians, he's deeply passionate and committed to this community. He is all in. And there's a deep sense of oneness and togetherness uh, as they share in God's grace together, as he says in verse 7. And you know, for us, relationships are fundamental to our joy. Even if you're an introvert, you might not believe me, but they are. Okay, you need relationship, you need community. And in a culture that is so marked by consumerism, uh, it's ultra-individualistic, the culture that we live in, because of advances of technology, um, because of uh, the way that kind of morality is going, um, personal freedom, personal choice is the key value in our culture. And so we're so individualistic it actually takes a decision if we're going to commit to community, if we're going to commit and say, actually, I'm not going to put myself first, but I'm going to put others first. But this is the model that Paul is holding out for us. You know, previous generations, they primarily saw themselves, our identity is we before me. So you're part of something. You're part of a family, you're part of a community, a local community before your own kind of person, right? We before me. But now the culture we live in is much more me before we, right? So um, my, my sense of identity comes in myself 
and then secondly, to anything I might be part of. So it takes a decision to commit to relationship and to community. And as a church, we want to be genuine family with each other. We want to be open with each other, honest with each other. We want to have space to be family and care for one another and model this kind of uh, spirit that Paul lived in with the Philippians. So I wonder what practically that could look like for us. Just, just something simple. It could start with inviting someone over for a meal. Um, after the service, can I encourage you to get your phones out, go and find Rachel and find a date to invite her for a meal. That would be a lovely way to welcome her. But you, how could you um, host someone for a meal? Or it might be starting a prayer triplet with a group of people, a, a place you can be really honest, you can share how life's going. If you need questions to help you in your discussions, we can provide that and you can pray together. Committing to community, or it might be a connect group. could be texting a friend that you've fallen out of touch with. Of course, it doesn't have to be in church. It could be something um, else. Paul gave himself away to this Christian community, but he also gave himself away to Jesus the theme that runs right throughout his letters. It defined his life. His joy was wrapped up in Jesus. And um, I was reminded of this story this week. A couple of years ago, uh, Lydia and I went to Stratford-upon-Avon, uh, the home of Shakespeare. Um, for It was like an anniversary. We went to stay in a pub, and we went to see A Midsummer's Night Dream. And um, Lydia's normally the more kind of theatrical, um, she's frankly more cultured than I am. But I went along um, and I enjoyed it, I enjoyed the evening. And then we were going to find a restaurant afterwards. It was kind of anniversary evening, going to be really special. So we see this um, production, we go out for a, a meal, and we go to a couple of restaurants and they're all fully booked. And so we think, okay, we'll just go back to the pub where we're staying. We'll have a meal there. Uh, there's no space there. It's just everything's completely rammed. And so we wander around for a bit. And then we end up going to a newsagent and getting one of those horrid ginksters pasties because that's all they had left. And so we go up to our hotel room, we chuck on the telly, and we're sat there eating ginksters. It felt very different from watching Shakespeare a few hours before, uh, eating these horrible ginksters pasties. But did I mind, really? No, I didn't really mind because it was about who I was with. I just loved being with Lydia. And I think the same here is true for Paul. He might be in prison, he might be in that place of challenge, but actually his joy is wrapped up in Jesus. And so as long as he can be with Jesus, as long as the Spirit is with him, then he can know that joy, he can be happy. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will find it. The paradox of the kingdom, the surprising joy of the kingdom, is when we turn away from ourselves, we forget ourselves in a sense, and we look to give ourselves away to God and to others. And in that place, I think that leads to joy. Okay, and then the second, the second choice that Paul made was to look with a faith perspective, to look with a faith perspective. And we see that in verses 12 to 14. You know, we all have um, challenges in life. We all have things that we go through. And we have two ways that we can look at them. We can look at them through a human lens, or we can look at them through the lens of faith and hope. Through the lens of, if God is in this, then things can be different 
from what they seem. And in verses 12 to 14, Paul kind of reflects on his situation. And rather than having a pity party, this is what he says. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Just think about that for a minute. What has happened to me, rather than being something I'm going to complain about, although it is challenging, is actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, so those are the people that have put Paul in chains, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And then in verse 15, he talks about those, he goes on a little tangent, and he talks about those who preach Christ from false motives, but he says it doesn't really matter because Christ is preached anyway, and that's what counts. And then in verse 19, he says this, yes, I will continue to rejoice. So that's a decision that he's making. It's a verb, not a noun. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, And through the help given by the Spirit of Jesus, he knows the Spirit is with him. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Paul chose to see things through a lens of faith. He chose to see his situation through the lens that there's a God who is very good, who loves him, is at work, is powerful, and is with him. Rather than looking on the fact that he's in prison and he might get killed soon. And I think it's this faith perspective that brings about hope and brings about the spirit of rejoicing. He could have chosen human thinking, and that would have led to despair, self-pity, victim mentality. Why me? Why am I always in prison? God, what are you doing? But we live by faith and not by sight, as he writes to the Corinthians. Things aren't always what they seem. And as Christians, this is how we are to choose to live, to see things. You know, Jesus was teaching this all the time to his disciples, and it took them forever to get it. But just think about the difference that faith made in the the various scenarios Jesus was in. Someone who got it really quickly was Jesus' mother, Mary. So think of the wedding of Cana, right? Wedding of Cana, disaster strikes, the run out of wine, A place of joy, a moment of joy, turns to embarrassment, shame, and, you know, what are the disciples thinking? What are the servants thinking? What are the the leaders, the the people hosting the wedding thinking? They're thinking, oh, no, this is going to end terribly. But what's Mary thinking? This is an opportunity for God to do something really cool. This is an opportunity for Jesus to step in. It's going to be okay because Jesus is in the picture. And we know how the story ends. The party got even better. Better wine, more wine, better party. Okay? Feeding of the 5,000. Again, another scenario. Two ways to look at it. They've, uh, ran, they don't have any food. The people are hungry. The disciples, what are we going to do? This is terrible. Uh, we should have we stopped this hours ago. They start to get all stressy. And Jesus just is, thinks completely differently. And he just says, what do you have? What do you have in your hands? Let's see what you have in your hands and what God plus what you have in your hands can do, the difference that it can make. And what happens? There's 12 basketfuls left over. The story of Jairus' daughter, right? Jairus comes to Jesus 
synagogue leader and says, my daughter's really unwell. Please, can you heal her? Jesus says, yeah, sure, I'll come with you. And then we have the story, the tangent, the, the story of the woman who touches Jesus and gets healed. And then as Jesus is going to the house, uh, we read this. While Jesus was still speaking to the crowd, some people came to the house from Jairus' house and said, your daughter is dead, so don't bother the teacher anymore. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. Okay? So the people are mourning, they're crying, they're sad. But Jesus, in the same situation, says, don't be afraid, just believe. Just have faith, because that's the key. He did not let anyone follow him uh, to this house except Peter, James, and John. They came to the home. Uh, people were crying and wailing loudly. And he gets them all out of the room. He creates an atmosphere of faith. And he says, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. He doesn't even acknowledge the kind of human response. Because he's thinking, in terms of the kingdom, he's thinking things are, things are possible that you can't see because I'm here and God is here. And they laughed at him when, they said, when he said that. And he goes into the room and he says, Talitha Kum, little girl, get up. And she rises from the dead. And then what's... What's the emotion? What's the feeling? How does Jairus feel? Joy, okay? Same situation, but Jesus saw things differently, and he was teaching his disciples to see things differently. It resulted in kingdom advancement. It resulted in good things, and it also brings us joy. It also brings us joy because we see things with hope rather than despair. So I don't know what challenges you're facing right now. What is stressing you out? But I wonder what difference a faith perspective might make. Just as God was at work, even though Paul was in prison, facing uncertainty, how might God be at work in your situation right now? How might God even be using that challenge to invite you to a deeper trust and intimacy with him? Because it's actually in the place of suffering and challenge that our faith becomes real. All right? Jordan Seng, the um, American... A pastor from Hawaii, one of my uh, favorite speakers, he said this, the battle for the kingdom is the battle for the mind. And the battle for the mind is the battle for your day. In other words, we have a choice of how we're going to see things. Are we going to live by faith or are we going to live by sight? So as I wrap up, come into land, let's just finish with the verse that I started with. Romans 14 Verse 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So joy is both a fruit of the Spirit and it's a choice that we make. And Paul made those choices. He made the choice to not live not for himself, but to give himself to God, to give himself to others. And he made the choice to live by faith, to see things deeply and as he, differently. And as he did that, he was able to participate in kingdom ministry and extraordinary things took place. But he was also a man deeply soaked in the Spirit. And that's what enabled him to do what he did. And just imagine the difference that it would make if we are to be people who carry this deep joy, this joy in Jesus, this kingdom joy that Paul carried Imagine the difference it might make for our lives, but more than that, or not only that, but the difference it might make to the communities in which we 
live in the world, this world that so needs to know the joy of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand. I'm aware of time.